Amen. Let's go ahead and read our scripture text for today. It's found in Ephesians chapter 6. And we're just going to read the first part of verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. For the past two Sundays, we have been looking at the writings of the Apostle Paul, specifically what he wrote in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. And these are four short verses, but they're very powerful verses, and they speak to us about spiritual warfare. More specifically, they speak to us about who our enemy isn't, who our enemy is, what we are called to do, and how we are to go about doing it. And in these verses, Paul reminded us that we are in the fight for our lives. It is a fight that is against a relentless and powerful enemy, the devil. If we don't believe that he is relentless, powerful, ruthless, then we are absolutely setting ourselves up for defeat. He doesn't give up. He doesn't take days off. And he is very good at what he does. After all, he's been doing it for thousands of years. The bottom line is this. We are engaged in a battle with a spiritual being who is absolutely intent on our destruction. We are fighting an enemy who hates God. And if we love God, then automatically he hates us by association. He wants to devour our families. He wants to destroy our testimonies and devastate our churches. But here's what I want us to remember. While the devil is powerful, he is not all-powerful. 1 John 4, 4 tells us that the God we serve is all-powerful. It says that the one who lives in us is greater than the one who lives out in the world. And that means regardless how powerful the devil is, we don't have to be afraid. Our only hope, though, and our only promise of victory is, not, is on putting on the armor of God. But not just putting it on, we have to keep it on. Every minute of every day. Remember again, this is an image that Paul is showing us. It's an image of a soldier who is standing there ready to go into battle, and all of these different pieces of armor are laid in front of him. But if he wants to be victorious, he has to pick them up and put them on. In the spiritual, it's the same for us. The pieces of the armor are there. The things that we need to do to be victorious, they're there. But we have to choose to put them on. We have to choose to use those things or we will be defeated. Armor does no good sitting in the armory. It does no good until it's put on the soldier's body. But this armor, if it is worn, if it is utilized properly, it will enable us to stand against the enemy Every day, and every minute of every day. So, the first part of the armor, we've been talking about the, all the background, the spiritual warfare. Today, we're going to go to the first part of the armor. And the first part of armor that Paul wrote about was the belt of truth. At first glance, I, I kind of thought Paul's choice in starting with a belt was a little odd. Then I began to look into the reasons why he would do that. After all, it's a belt. Why not start with something really cool like a sword or a shield? But in doing some research, I found 
various versions of what a Roman soldier's belt looked like. Most likely it was very similar to this one, which is kind of cool. It was a piece of leather. It was thick and it was sturdy. And much of the rest of the soldier's army armor connected to it or was held in place by this belt. So I realized it wasn't just a belt. It was a useful belt. And while that's a pretty cool belt, I still wondered why Paul would choose to start with a belt. Not this cool breastplate up here, just the belt. So I kept searching. And then once I finally understood what this belt actually did, I realized why Paul put it first. Because he wanted us to see that that belt was possibly the most important piece of armor that a soldier could wear into battle. And when we really understand the purpose of that belt, what it did for the soldier, then it is then we start to understand the importance of that belt. And somebody's saying, but it's just a belt. How could it be that important? Let's look at some, some history of first century warfare. It might help us to make sense. The standard tunic or the standard garment for a first century Roman soldier was a loose-fitting tunic. Pretty cool. And it was really nothing more than a large piece of cloth, a square piece of cloth with holes for the arms and a hole cut out for your head. And that was it. And outside of the battle, this tunic was usually worn just like this, allowing it just to drape over your body. And while this tunic was nothing special, it served a purpose in everyday life. But when it came time for battle that same tunic could prove itself to be very dangerous for a soldier. Since most combat in that day was hand-to-hand -hand combat, it provided the enemy something to grab hold of. And they could hold on to you and stab you with the sword, cut your head off, punch you in the face, whatever they wanted to do, because they had hold of you. And providing the enemy this kind of advantage could mean certain death. Another reason for a soldier to secure their tunic was that if it was left loose, it could hinder their freedom of movement. So before a battle began, the soldier would carefully gather up the tunic around his body and then tuck it in place under the belt. Kind of like this. Not like that. Okay, that's good. Tuck it under the belt. There's another picture there. And so what it would do, this, this tucking away of the loose-fitting tunic is translated in the King James Version of the Bible as girding up your loins. There you go. See, I tucked it up, tied it around, bring it back. One, one writer, historical writer, said when they did this, it kind of looked like a big diaper. So anyway, tucking this tunic away is what's translated in the King James Version of the Bible as girding up your loins. It was a way of saying, get prepared and stay prepared. So what Paul was saying in Ephesians 6.14 was stand firm, get your armor in place, and keep it all in place with the belt of truth around your waist. The belt also had some other purposes to a soldier beyond holding your tunic in place so the enemy couldn't hold it against you and keeping it from tripping them up. It also held the breastplate in place. Now let's go back to that picture. There. The breastplate is this metal piece, and you can see it comes down, and the belt actually holds that in place. 
Why? It kept it from, if the soldier is in battle, it kept the breastplate from just beating him to death on his chest. It also held on the side a sheath for his sword. So if a soldier got rid of the belt, it would leave him open to the enemy grabbing him by the tunic. It could also allow his tunic to trip him up. It means the breastplate would not be secure, which means it could allow for an arrow to come through in a place where the breastplate slipped over and hit him in the upper torso. And of course, without a belt, his sword would fall to the ground, leaving him totally defenseless. In short, without the belt, the soldier wouldn't be much good in battle. And he'd probably die. So we're starting to see that, that the belt really was that important. So that's the importance of a, a belt to a Roman soldier. And as interesting as that might be, what does that mean to us in a spiritual sense? And why did Paul relate truth to this belt? We've already established over the past couple of weeks that as Christians, we are in a spiritual battle. And if we're going to win, we must fight this battle with the armor that we have been given to fight with. As Christians, first and foremost, we must securely be connected to truth in order to win, in order to be successful. Truth holds all that we do in place. And without truth, we are certain to lose the battle. One of the purposes of the soldier's belt was to get the tunic out of the way, as we said, so it didn't hinder movement. And truth for us as Christians, those who are engaged in spiritual warfare, is used to get things out of the way of our life too, things that could hinder us spiritually. Truth frees us up from things that would take hold of us and drag us down and distract us from the battle or cause us to trip and fall spiritually. That's why truth is so important. And, you know, I, I, I'm often hesitant to talk about truth because that word truth has been thrown around in churches in such a horrible way to where a group would say, we have the truth, and because we have the truth, everybody else is going to hell. And they held it up like it was something that God had blessed us with, them with made them special. Not that God was special, but it made them special because, woohoo, we've got the truth. And the problem is with that is a lot of the truth that they had wasn't really truth at all. It wasn't truth out of the Bible. It was truth of things that people made up, and they held on to it as God-given truth. So I'm, sometimes I'm hesitant to throw that word out there, but there is such thing as absolute truth. And we'll get to that in a minute. Let's look at another way to look at the purpose of this belt. Having our loins girded or our belt tightened is also a call for us to be ready at all times for whatever we're called to do. In Exodus 12:11, when God gave the children of Israel orders to what to do to get out of Israel, it's about it's concerning the Passover. He told them, "Eat the Passover with your cloak tucked into your belt." Anybody remember reading that? Eat the Passover with your cloak tucked into your belt. Sound familiar? Your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover. They were to be girded up so that when it was time to go, they would be ready to go. Gird up your loins, in this sense, meant to be ready and to stay ready. 
In his teaching, Jesus told people to be ready to go as well. In Luke 12, 35, he said this, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. The NIV version says, be dressed, ready for service. So that belt, what does it do? It holds everything in place. It's truth. And the truth of the word of God holds everything else that we do and everything else that we need to be victorious, it holds it in place. So having your loins girded could basically be translated as tightening up your belt. And once again, carrying with it the idea that we are ready to go all the time. As Christians, in a battle against the devil, our spiritual loins are to be guarded, and girded rather, and we need to be prepared, and we need to be ready to go as we look for the coming of the Lord. Look what Peter said in 1 Peter 1.13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the, great, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That means we keep our minds on the things that matter. We stay focused on the truth of God's word. And before you say, oh, that's no problem, let me tell you, the devil is not only good at deceiving, he's good at distracting. If he can distract you, if he can get you to take your, your eyes off of the truth, then he has created a vulnerable place at which he can attack you. You go, I never let that happen. Again, he's been doing it for thousands of years. We might be on fire for the Lord and, and just be full of the Holy Ghost and, and be spirit-filled and think that we're on our way to heaven. And if we are not careful, if we do not hold on to the truth of the Word of God, the devil will hang something out here to the side. And all of a sudden we start looking. Oh, something shiny. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. He will use little things. He will use big things. The, the thing is, he will use whatever it takes to distract you. And if he can distract you long enough, he can destroy you. We know that Paul said that the belt that we wear into spiritual battle is a belt of truth. So a logical question at this point would be, what is truth? And that's an entire sermon series all on its own. But we'll take the short version this morning. Truth, as Paul defined it in several places, included accurate information regarding God and the good news of Jesus or the gospel. The truth of these things binds or holds together everything else we believe. The truth of who God is, the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus is what holds everything else together as Christians. There's a Bible commentator named Adam Clark. Here's what he wrote. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the truth of God. Unless this be known and conscientiously believed, no man can enter into the spiritual warfare with any advantage or prospect of success. By this alone, we discover who our enemies are and how they come on to attack us. And by this, we know where our strength lies. And as the truth is great and must prevail, we are to gird ourselves with this against all false religion and the various winds of doctrine by which cunning men and insidious, insidious 
Devils lie in wait to deceive. End of quote. The devil is a deceiver. But if we don't know what truth is, how can we possibly recognize deception? If we don't believe in the basic things like Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that that is the very foundation of our beliefs, then we have no truth on which to stand. And as a result, if we have no truth on which to stand, we will be deceived and blown away by every deceptive doctrine that comes our way. I've seen people live for the Lord for years and years and years. And somebody comes along with some new revelation and they get distracted and they forget all about what God did for them, how he brought them from this place to this place, how he saved them, how he cleaned them up, how he filled them with his spirit and all of these things and they get distracted by some newfangled version. And the next thing you know, they've left this behind to follow something new. Paul Paul felt very strongly about this. 1 Corinthians 2 and 2, he said, For I have resolved to know nothing while I was with you except this, Jesus Christ and him crucified. If we'd have nothing else to stand on, if there is nothing else that we can plant our feet and say, I will stand on this, it should be Jesus Christ and him crucified. In much the same way that the Roman soldier's belt was of no use, or soldier's armor was no use without the belt, if we don't have truth, the truth of Jesus Christ and him crucified, all of the other pieces of spiritual armor are useless. Without truth, we are destined to be defeated. And I believe this is why, of all the places where Paul could have started with this full armor of God, this is why he started with the belt of truth. The word truth can also be used to refer to the content of that which is true. If we are to stand when the day of evil comes, as Paul wrote in verse 13 of Ephesians 6, then we must stand in truth, not in false doctrine, not in man-made legalism, not in man-made religion, not in someone's opinion, but stand in truth. And there will people, be people that come along and say, oh yeah, but you might, you might have been saved, but if you're not doing this, 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 and this, I can look and tell you you're not saved. You need to get away from them. Because if they say they can look at you and tell if you're saved, they're lying. Because there is no one that can look at you and tell if you're saved or not. It, that's in here. And I'm pretty sure they can't see your heart. But what people will do, again, and it's a distraction of the devil. You call it whatever you want to call it. But if somebody comes to you and says, yeah, but you're not doing this, this, and this. You know, we're supposed to eat an apple a day, and that way we stay saved. I've heard sillier stuff, believe me. We must stand in truth. If we're going to stand, we will only stand if we stand in the truth of Jesus Christ and him crucified. As the old song says, on Christ the solid rock I'll stand. All other ground is sinking sand. If we want to be victorious, 
We will surround ourselves with truth. We will put on truth, and we'll leave it on. Without truth, we are easily tripped up by Satan's lies. And I will tell you that lies, no matter how big or how small they are, are things that destroy lives, relationships, and futures. Remember, it was one little lie that the devil used to, to deceive Eve and Adam and Eve. One little lie. And he used it to destroy the entire future of all mankind. One little lie. Truth is vital to survival. And going back to Adam and Eve, here's the thing. They had truth. God told them what truth was. He said you can eat of anything in the garden except that one tree right there. It was their choice. And our choosing to follow truth or not to follow truth, it's our choice too. We can't afford to have areas of deception in our lives. Just as it is with a physical belt, we cannot have, afford to have a broken version of truth. How good would a belt be if it had a place about an inch wide missing in it? It's useless. You couldn't tighten it up. It serves no purpose. And as truth is, it has to be completely around us. We have to be completely surrounded in truth. When Paul speaks about girding our, our loins with truth, he's referring to a couple specific areas of truth. I want to look at a couple of these. First of all, there's truth found in the Word of God. Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth. Without a working knowledge of the truth of the Scriptures, we as children of God are easy prayer for the enemy. pray for the enemy. If we don't know what the Bible says... When the devil comes along to deceive us, why would we have nothing? I got, I got nothing, sorry. That's why it's important to know what the Bible says. That's why it's important to come to Bible study. It's why it's important for us to study on our own, because we need the Word. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 13 through 14, that there's a danger in not knowing God's truth. But he says that if we have the truth or the knowledge of the Son of God, we will no longer be like infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by every cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. If we don't know what truth is, and if we don't have our, ourselves wrapped in truth, then every little wind of doctrine that comes along is just going to blow us away. And we'll follow after it. Why? Because we have nothing to put our feet on and say, I will stand on truth. He goes on in verse 15 to say, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, and that is Christ. And that's a whole other Bible study too, but I'll just throw this out there. Speaking the truth in love is pretty important. There's a lot of people that feel like they have the truth and they don't know how to speak it in love. It's kind of like, I have the truth and you don't, you're going to hell. That's not what the Bible says. 
I remember years ago, my dad gave a, a wonderful example of speaking the truth in love. He said, I love a good steak, but if you come up to me and slap me in the face with a good steak, I don't love it so much. <laughs> speaking the truth in love. God has given us his word. He has given us pastors and preachers and teachers to explain it to us. And it's all because he wants us to know his truth so that when the devil throws his lies at us, we will be able to stand without the truth. We as children of God have no foundation. And if we have no foundation, then we cannot stand. And I can tell you, we will not stand when the devil really comes after us if we don't have truth. The only way to combat error and deception is with the truth. It's the devil's desire to destroy us and distract us, deceive us, and he does this by peddling lies. He'll just keep throwing them out there. He did it to Jesus. He did it to Jesus himself in the wilderness. And if we think that he won't do the same to us, we're kidding ourselves. What did Jesus do when the devil threw out lies at him? He quoted scripture. And as we said before, we can't quote scripture if we don't know what it says. We can't say, this is truth, devil, if we don't know what truth is. Satan will even use a twisted version of the Word of God to deceive us. He doesn't care. He can come up with a counterfeit version of truth, and if we don't know what truth is, we'll fall for it. There are so many people in our society, church people in our society today, that are more, they're more interested in things than they are in truth. They're more interested into a gospel of what can I get here on earth than a gospel of we have a battle to fight here and someday when we die we'll go to heaven. Boy, it got quiet. If the devil can get you to focus on a gospel of collecting things on this earth, and there's nothing wrong with having things. Don't walk out of here saying he said we shouldn't have stuff. No, I hope everybody here is just blessed abundantly and you live in a big giant house and you have tons of cars and boats and all the stuff. But that's not why we live for God. And if somebody tells you that that is the result of being a Christian, then they lied to you. Because the Bible says, in this world, you will have trouble. But, but don't, be, don't be afraid. I've overcome the world. That's the kind of deception that the devil uses. He wants to twist the word of God just enough to mislead people into thinking that it means something other than what it actually means. And again, let me say, the only way to combat error and deception is with truth. And the only way to know what truth is, is to be exposed to it. So where do we find this truth? We find truth in the word of God, the Bible. The Bible is truth. The Bible is reliable. It is accurate. It is to be read, and it is to be believed. 
There are people who claim to be men of God who say, well, you know, the Bible is not really infallible. You can't believe everything that you read in the Bible. You go, well, that's crazy talk. There are a lot of people, in fact, in, in seminaries where they teach ministers that will tell you the Bible is not strictly the Word of God that was, that was given to men by God. So you don't have to believe it all. You can't take the Bible literally. You can't take the Bible as absolute truth. And I would answer this, that with this. If there is no absolute truth, then there cannot be any kind of truth. Truth is not subjective. It's not something that we get to have our own version of. Truth is not relative. In other words, we can't say, yeah, I might not be doing what the Bible says, but in relation to that guy over there, I'm doing a whole lot more. That's relative truth. No, that's not the way it works. The Bible says this is truth, and we measure ourselves by this. Not by somebody over there. Truth is absolute. And either we believe the Bible, all of it. Hold on. Either we believe the Bible, all of it, or we throw it in the trash, all of it. There's no in-between. It's not a menu at a Chinese restaurant where you take one from column A and one from column B. No, that's not the way the Bible is. The Bible is truth. And if we call ourselves Christians and followers of Christ, then we trust what it says and we believe what it says and we stand on it. And when we do that, we'll stand firm. First, Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. Those that don't believe that this is true will eventually find themselves as casualties of war that's taking place in the world now. 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit clearly says that in later time, latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And the thing about this is, they won't know that they're being taught by demons. They won't know that they're being deceived because they don't know what truth is. The Bible is truth. But if we don't read it, if we don't study it, if we don't learn what it says, then we do not and cannot possess the truth. The Bible teaches us all we need to know about life and death, heaven and hell, God and Satan, sin and salvation. But again, you can't rely on your pastor to tell you everything that's in the Word of God. You have to spend some time on your own reading and studying the Word of God. But I don't understand that those words don't make any sense. I don't talk like that. Then find a version of the Bible that you understand. There's about a gazillion of them out there. And you don't even have to go buy a Bible. You can look, get out your phone, not right now, but you can get out your phone and go to Bible Gateway and a bunch of other sites, and you can just click right on there. You can find the Scripture, and you say, I want this version. Okay, I read that. I want this version. And you can read all the different versions you want for free. There's no excuse for us today to not know what the Bible says.
if we could grasp the reality of truth and how vital it is to our very survival, and that the Bible is filled with truth, I believe we would find ourselves spending a lot more time in our Bible. So if we don't, it probably means that we either we don't, we think we don't need it, which would translate to, I can fight this battle on my own, and that's not true. Or it could mean that we believe there's not even a battle going on, which is certain defeat. The Bible serves a lot of purposes. And one of those is to reveal to us our condition as we stand before God. Romans 3.10 and 23, and we're not going to read all these, tells us that none of us on our own are righteous. It also tells us that all of us have sinned. John 3.16 reveals God's solution to that problem. He said he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and a lot of other places, lets us know that salvation is through grace, that is a gift, and there is nothing that we on our, in our own selves can do to earn it. John 14, 1 through 3, tells us as believers, our final destiny is heaven. You see, the Bible is a book to be read, to be believed, to be obeyed. And those who do those things and heed to what it says will be led into the path of life and spend eternity in heaven. And those who don't, they won't. Heaven and hell is not real popular these days. Heaven is, but hell is not so popular. For ministers to talk about, well, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to offend anybody. And I wouldn't talk about hell to offend anybody. But it's truth. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And all of us will go to one or the other. If we have access to a Bible, whether it's a physical book or an electronic device, we should praise God for it. And every day we should do our best to soak in the truth of what it says. When we read the Word of God, we need to let it speak to our hearts. Not just pick up and say, okay, I'm going to read through this chapter. Oh, God, throw it. Let it speak to our hearts. The Bible is truth, and in its pages, we find life everlasting. Make the Bible your foundation. Make the Bible, the truth of what's in the Word of God, what you stand on. There are too many people in our day that allow the loose folds of their spiritual tunic to blow them around and hinder them in their walk for the Lord. And like those ancient soldiers whose, whose loose tunic would cause them to trip and fall or allow the enemy to grab hold of them and pull them down in, in battle. There are a lot of believers today who allow things of the world to blow them around. Their habits, cares, and interests entangle them and prevent them from faithfully serving the Lord the way they should. 
For a lot of folks, serving God has become something they do when there's nothing else to do. Let me say that again. For a lot of folks today, serving God has become something they do when there is nothing else to do. There are a lot of people today who call themselves Christians who have at best made a half-hearted commitment to live for Christ. And I will tell you that a half-hearted commitment is not a commitment at all. There is no such thing as a part-time Christian because living for Christ is a full-time commitment. 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. A true Christian will secure themselves with truth. And if we are willing to secure ourselves with truth, then we have to be willing to let go of the things of the world. Those things that would cause us to be tangled up and trip over and cause us to fall. Someone will say, well, that doesn't sound like much fun. Well, it's war, so it's really not fun. No one ever said war was fun. But be assured, if we don't take this battle we fight with the devil, we will be defeated. We will be destroyed. And it doesn't mean we walk around looking like somebody just punched us in the face all the time. That's not what I'm talking about. I've known people that, you know, well, you can tell how godly I am because I look like this. No, you can still have fun as a Christian. You can still enjoy life. It just means we don't get entangled with those things that would cause us to fall. But we have to recognize that the battle is real. And we are in it. And not only are we in it, when we are girded with the full armor of God, we will be victorious, but we must hold on to truth. I will tell you that a committed Christian is prepared for battle not because they're so strong themselves but because they have set their life and their heart on the Lord in total commitment. They are true in their profession of faith. They are disciplined in their walk. And when we do that, the enemy cannot easily trap us or defeat us in battle. Why? Because we have the truth. And when we have the truth, we will not fall for the deceptions that the devil throws at us. But if we try to fight the devil with our own personal version of truth, then we've already been deceived. And I'll close with this. Think about the kind of d- discipline and commitment that athletes show. In Paul's day, Paul wrote a lot about this. In Paul's day, athletes would train their bodies and sacrifice everything to win a small laurel wreath. It was just leaves and a little tiny crown made out of leaves. A prize that would wither away and perish in a matter of days. And yet they trained and they worked. They endured pain, suffering, and deprivation, all for the hope of winning that small little crown and the praise of men. But here's something to note. Even with all their sacrifice, there was no guarantee they'd win. 
They still had to compete against every other athlete that was doing the same thing. So they worked and they, they sacrificed and they pushed themselves. And then when it came out to the actual event, they would push themselves to the limit just to win. For just a crown. And just to be noticed by men. We as Christians are fighting something far greater than a perishable crown or trophy or whatever it is we might win. But unlike an athlete, we are guaranteed to win if we are obedient to the Word of God and if we go into battle with the armor that we have been provided. But we must hold on to truth because when we have lost that, all the other pieces of the armor will not be effective. We're fighting this battle for the glory of the Lord. And we are able to stand for Him in this battle because it is His will for our lives. And those that know Him will be committed to honoring Him with their lives every day and in the battle that they wage. And then, at the end of the day, when the battle is over and the noise of warfare has stopped and has lost itself in the anthems of praise, the faithful, true believer will receive a crown that never fades. 1 Corinthians 9.25 says, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it... Mm, we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Every true believer can have this crown. It is guaranteed to those who are faithful, to those that will hold on to the truth. If an athlete can give everything just for the hope of winning a perishable crown, how much more should we, the redeemed of God, be willing to sacrifice. To have the belt of truth buckled around us is to be renewed in our mind. It is to be absolutely committed to God's will for our lives. Matthew 16, 24 tells us, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For us to be successful and victorious in battle, we need to be that living sacrifice that Paul wrote about in Romans 12 and 1. He said to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Another translation says, this is reasonable service. We must embrace the truth as it's revealed in the Word of God. And it means then that we live out that truth every day of our lives. It means that we are real in word, real, real indeed. If we as the church do not stand on truth, if we do not guard the truth, 
and wear the truth as a belt that surround us, we will not have a credible witness to those who are unsaved. There are times when living for the Lord is a battle. There are times when living for the Lord can be painful in a world that hates God and hates His truth. But a life of truth, a life that bears faithful witness to the life-changing power of the gospel will bring great glory to the name of God. I am determined more than ever to win. How about you? If you are here today and you have never made a start to live for the Lord, or maybe you made a start and sometime over the, the last few years you've kind of just drifted away from it, today's a good day to come back to the Lord. It's nothing I can give you, it's nothing you can buy, it's nothing you can earn. It is a free gift of salvation. We have to realize a few things. First of all, that we're sinners. Every one of us are sinners. And we were separated from God because of that sin. He's a perfect and holy God. But God looked down through time and he said, I have to do something about that situation. And I have to provide a means I have to provide a sacrifice that will sacrifice once and for all for salvation. And John 3.16 says he sent his one and only son to die in our place. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And when we come to the Lord and we say, God, I've, I've messed up my life. I've sinned, I recognize that, I ask you today to forgive my sin. He has promised that he will forgive our sin. He has promised that he will cast our sin as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against us again. And at that point, you're clean. Your sin has been forgiven. And then he has promised that he will fill us with his spirit. And what does that spirit do? It leads us and it guides us as we walk through this world. It will guide us to truth. And that is the first step that we take in salvation. If you've never been baptized... We can baptize you right here. Baptism is, a, is an outward sign of what's happened in here. You see, I can't see your heart. Nobody else can see your heart, but they can see you get baptized. It's not magic water. Nothing mystical about it. It's an outward sign of an inward profession. And if you would stand again this morning as we sing a chorus, if there was someone here today who would like to make a start 
If you would like to make a start to live for the Lord, this altar is open. If you need prayer this morning, we will pray with you, pray for you. Would you come this morning as we sing?